Hi, everybody, and welcome to Be Better Tomorrow. I, as always, am your host, Jason Fisher, and this month I am super excited to bring you Dr. Benjamin Hardy. He's an organizational psychologist and best selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. He's also someone who's had a huge influence on me in this show, and if you've listened for any length of time, you've heard me quote him, maybe at length. He's written a new book called Personality Isn't Permanent, and we get into great conversations about why some personality tests may be more harmful than good why and how you should set your future self up for success, and why maybe it's not such a bad idea to set a reminder to send your wife flowers. Good, good. So I'm curious, uh, what, what motivated you to write this book since you talk a lot about your reason driving your actions? Why yeah. personality, personality in particular? Yeah, the reason I wrote this book, a few reasons. Personality is a big conversation. A lot of people talk about personality, and the typical conversations are usually about why it doesn't change you know people are who they are a lot a lot of the general perspectives are that your personality is hardwired that you're going to be who you you're going to be a lot of people are very definitive about how they explain themselves i am an x you know i'm an introvert i'm an intj so people are very definitive about explaining their personality and from my perspective kind of having studied it for so long i just thought like this isn't really how it works and people aren't really talking about how how personality actually develops over time how it changes and also, the thing that finally pushed me over the edge to writing this book was actually reading a book. I read a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that one. No, no. It's, like, it's kind of considered at this point the definitive book on trauma. What it talks about, a lot of it, is how trauma shapes personality, about how like traumatic experiences could be anything that emotionally impacts you. And it talks a lot about how trauma freezes your personality. It keeps you stuck kind of in the past and ultimately leads you to kind of unhealthy cycles. Yeah, and another thing that trauma does is it honestly, it, um, it shatters your hope for the future. It shatters your imagination, your flexibility. It makes you quite psychologically rigid um, so that you, your, your comfort zone shrinks quite a bit. As a person, like if you're overly defined by negative experiences from the past, you stop being as flexible to learning and trying new things. I, I just wanted to explain to people why their personality may be getting stuck or not even just personality, but why they as a person are getting stuck. You know, ultimately how you can make desire change, how you can break out of that. I've kind of joked a little bit with my wife going into this, that this may get me into some trouble. I, I'm working with our people in change and team effectiveness organization as a business consultant and everybody there loves personalysis, uh, the disc profile. Yes. Do you Understood. find, do you find any use for those at all? There are some usages. There's, I, I find that there's far more drawbacks than uses. What they do for people, although they're not, they don't do it the best as far as accuracy is they can give you a snapshot of who a person is. From the perspective of the test, let's just say the DISC. I've talked to someone recently who used to be a trainer of DISC. He'd go into organizations, give DISC, and explain to people how to use it. And what he saw was is that when he gave the profile to a group of people, it immediately started to alienate the group. People like who were the Ds, and I don't really know the test that much, but like the type A, I guess you could say, yeah. like the leaders, would then immediately start acting more like Ds the test essentially gives you a sense of identity. It gives you, it gives you a description of yourself, which people actually really need. We need a sense of identity. So this is why people like them. Um, problem is, is that the identity becomes overly believed in. Yeah. You know, you take the label and you think that it's actually always true and you think it's fully true. And so it, it can kind of create a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, I mean, I, I, think that, I think it makes sense why people use them as far as it's a quick snapshot of people, but it's not necessarily an accurate snapshot of people. And it can create a fixed mindset in people where they become kind of rigid or inflexible at doing things outside of their, their new label. Like they think yeah. that I, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not uh, 
like an eye. So I'm not, I can't do stuff like that. Like it really makes you non-flexible outside of the label. Yeah. I, I, the thing started to fall apart for me when within a week I took two disc profiles for two different groups and got completely different results. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, this and, is common. This is actually, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. In, in college, my roommate was a professional magician and I've always loved magic and that specifically mentalism and things that, that mess with your brain. And I started to learn about cold reading and some of those things like horoscopes where you can make a general statement that everyone attaches themselves to. And I found kind of understanding through that with DISC, you know, it really depends on what I'm thinking about at the time. If I'm thinking about work, I tend to be that D. I want to get my job done so I can relax. Yes. Whereas in, in my personal life, I'm super I. I want to be out there influencing, talking to people, chatting it up, having a good time because I don't care about getting anything done if there's not a job to do. But then yes. I, like you said, started identifying I'm this person. Don't talk to me this way because I want to get the, the job done. And not only did I, can I alienate myself, but I think we alienate other people. Well, they're not really good for sales because they were a D on disc. You know, we need more of the people person to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is really, really important from a scientific perspective. So like when I was getting my PhD in organizational psychology, I was really surprised. When you're studying what's called psychometrics, which is essentially test development, test validation, in order for something to be good science, you actually have to like be able to like, you have to, it's called validity and reliability. Like you have to be studying something that you say you're studying, that's validity. It has to have validity, but also reliability. Like you have to be able to get the same score over and over again. Like if you step on a scale and then five minutes later, you step on the scale again and it gives you like 10 pounds different, you know what I mean? Like it's not really a good scale. And there's a lot of research exactly pointing to what you're saying with these tests. Like not only are you going to get different scores over time, but in different environments or in different situations, you're going to get different scores. So like there's been a study as an example where they took two groups of people, they gave them the same personality test. One group took the test like once and then a week later they took the same test. And in that situation, there was the same person who administered the test. And in that situation, they got decently similar scores, but the other group took the same test, same time interval once. And then a week later they took the same test. But the only difference was is that there was two separate test administrators and the, the scores were totally non-correlated by just yeah. having a different test administrator. But another thing that you're saying is really important is that when you have a label, you defend the label. You don't try to right. disconfirm it. You know, like you, you, because you see it as a part of your identity, you actually seek to defend it. And there's a lot of research now that talks about how like your future self is actually going to be a different person than you are today. You're not the same person as you were 10 years ago. It's good for actually thinking about who you are to recognize that you're not actually the same person you used to be. You as right. an example, you're probably yeah. not the exact same person you were five or 10 years ago. No, thank goodness. Exact same person, right? Are you? <laughs> no, not at all. And I actually talked about this like two or three shows ago, the end of history illusion, where we think- Yeah, exactly, growing. exactly. Like, like That's I'm it. I'm 40 now. I've obviously arrived to where I'm going to be. I really hope that I'm a, I'm a better person when I'm 60 than I am now, than I was exactly. when I was 20. That's perfect. We, yes, you've got it. Yes, you've got it. And, and it's so important for a decision. It's really important to realize that if your future self is someone different, that who you are today is temporary. And therefore, you wouldn't want to be overly definitive about your current identity. Also, just one last thought is from a mindfulness perspective. Ellen Langer at Harvard, and I recommend her books to anyone. She's been studying mindfulness for about 40 years. And... She's got a book called Mindfulness, one called Counterclockwise, but she studies what leads people to being mindless. Okay. And being mindless has a lot of drawbacks, but having overly assuming a label leads you to being very mindless. Uh, you don't notice the times when the label is not true. So like, for example, what she studied is if someone defines himself as depressed, they actually think that they're always depressed. When actually, when you look at this person throughout a given day, there's many episodes that they're not feeling depressed. They're actually feeling quite good. Um, 
but they don't see that because in psychology we have what's called selective attention. We focus on what's meaningful to us. It's like when you buy a car, you start to see the car everywhere, right? I was going to say the same thing. I never yeah. saw my car until I bought it. And now yeah, I see it and that's it. But what you don't see is you don't see all the other cars. Like there's hundreds of other cars. So you don't see it, but you, you, you're triggered to the one you, you're driving. And that's how labels work is you, you, you don't notice all of the other behaviors you exhibit. You only notice the ones that reflect the label. And then obviously yeah. you try to defend the labels. There's a lot of drawbacks, honestly, to doing this. And I think from my, my perspective, the main problem is, is that because you've assumed this identity, you think that it's who you're going to be in the future, which first off, isn't necessarily going to be the case, but it stops you from choosing who you want to be and creatively going for that, like proactively seeking positive change. Instead, you're just trying to confirm your current identity. I'm very thankful to get the pre-copy of the new book coming out. Personality is not permanent. So look for that. when By the time this podcast drops, it'll be released. Go buy a copy. It's wonderful. I want a hardback copy so I can highlight it and, and tear it apart. It'll be great. You take it to, to maybe not extreme, but a further level than I've ever thought of it before. I was thinking of yourself, past, present, and future as different people. Yeah. Why is that so helpful? Uh, it's helpful for a lot of reasons. Uh, let's just talk about like former experiences. It could be traumatic experiences. It could just be anything. Like you as a person at age 40 probably would see and make different decisions in situations than you at 30. Like hopefully you've sure. gained some experience, hopefully. right? And so like the idea that you're the exact same person as your former self is just a bad way of looking at things because you're in a different situation, a different context. You have different knowledge. You probably have different goals. You may have kids, you know, like you're, you're dealing with things totally differently than the former version of you would. And so it's, it's really helpful just to recognize that you're not that same person. If you've had former traumas, just as an example, like if you've had negative experiences that have shaped how you see yourself, one of the problems with traumatic experiences, if they haven't been reframed, is that you still actually see the, the former experiences from the perspective of when the event happened. So like me as an example, like my parents get divorced at age 11, my father becomes a drug addict. If, I, if I'm still seeing those events from the, from the version of an 11 year old, which often happens, then I'm probably not dealing with that situation like a mature 32 year old. Um, so it's better to realize that I'm not the same person as the kid who was going through that trauma um, and it's good to have empathy towards your former self and what they were dealing with. And just, you know, you, you can learn to reframe and let it go and change the meaning of the experiences. Whereas if you see, see yourself as still that same person, then you're going to still make the same decisions that they would have made. And, and that doesn't have to be the case with, with future self and seeing your future self as a different person. It's really, you know, this, this is, this is actually a really good example, but your future self is in a different situation. And obviously you want to decide who your future self is. You know, people on their deathbed say they wish they had the courage to be who they really wanted to be. And instead they lived up to the expectations of those around them. It doesn't take that much work. I mean, in the book, I have about 150 journal prompts, honestly, but it's a good thing to just really think about who do you want to be? Like that's actually a better metric of who you should be than who you are today. But when you think about who you want to be and where you want to be as a person, that, that's the thing that dictates your daily behavior. Like from a decision-making standpoint, it's impossible to make a useful or a mindful decision if you don't know where you want to go. Like if you don't know who you want to be and where you want to go, it right. literally does not matter what you do today because right. the decision has no context. Two days ago, I think after work, I was exhausted. Woke up at five, did a bunch of podcasts and also just wrote, I think just did some writing and I went home at like two or three in the afternoon, which is, you know, my, my normal strain you know, on my normal schedule, but I was kind of tired and my eight-year-old son was like really wanting to go swimming. And I was, and I honestly was kind of like, I'll just watch you. You know, like, you know, we have a pool, we're in Florida. And so like, I was just going to watch him. And then I was thinking to myself, 
like how would my future self want to remember this? Like my mm. current preference in the moment was to just sit and watch because I was tired, but my future self's preference or, you know, would be, no, go get in the pool. Like, how do I want to remember this? And so it's really good for decision-making to say, how would your future self want to remember this? Or how would yeah. you, what would your future self do? And when you think about what your future self would prefer, you can make better decisions than what's based on here and now. Yeah, um, I, think, I think a lot of people joke about it and say, you know, that's future Jason's problem. That's future Ben's problem to deal with. <laughs> yeah, that's like the worst way of looking at it. Because exactly. essentially you're saying, I'm going to make decisions now. They're going to set up my future <laughs> self for failure. I mean, that's, exactly. that's, that's, that's like the opposite of how you want to do it. Right. And so that's, but I hear that making its way into the mainstream consciousness where it's like, that's really the opposite direction to your point of what you want to do. What would my future self want to think about this? Um, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I that's was, a lot better of a way of making decisions. And honestly, that's the way that you can then start to live intentionally today towards goals. I mean, right. most of, you know, typically what people do is, is they operate based on who they were yesterday. You know, they live in their environment. 95% of our behavior is subconscious. And so when you wake up, you just do what you did yesterday. You look at your cell phone, you go through your subconscious loops, and you essentially just replay who you were yesterday. But when you have a future self, and if you're thinking about that future self, then you can make informed decisions today that are more conscious. Like, this is what I need to do today to get towards where I want to go. Sometimes it will take courage if you're working towards big goals. I really like the quote from Dan Sullivan. He says, the bigger the future, the better the present. Because if you're clear on your future, then that's going to shape what you do in the present. You know, and you'll probably be actively moving towards where you want to go. Uh, obviously you'll be dealing with more uncertainty because like, I think a really good way of looking at personalities, it's basically your comfort zone. It's like what you're comfortable doing. It's your habits. It's, and so to do something new or to work towards a future self, you're going to deal with more uncertainty. You're going to be dealing with new things, but that's how you learn. Great. So focusing on that future self and, and making the, your future self happy with the decisions you make today and being intentional about those decisions is a great way to improve the direction that you're going towards those goals. So to summarize it somewhat, yeah. It's, I mean, I think to me, it's the only way you can actually live in the present with direction. And, to, and it's also like from a, from a learning perspective, in psychology, we call it deliberate practice. Uh, mm -hmm. It was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell as the 10,000 hour rule. Right. Um, but you can do something for 10,000 hours and not get any better at it. Like, so what, what the psychology research actually shows is they call it deliberate practice, but the only way to actually engage in meaningful learning is to have a really clear goal so that your process leads to the outcome you're looking for rather than just randomly doing the same thing over and over. So from a learning perspective, like you'll get better at podcasting as an example, not speaking to you, but like you'll get better at anything you're trying to do if you're having, if you have a vision of what you, what that looks like in the future. Um, like I know a lot of people, just as an example, who are writers, they actually would never own up to the goal that they wanted to be professional writers. They're still blogging, written hundred, you know, th hundreds of blog posts or, or thousands and never really made that much progress as a writer because I don't think that they've really just owned up to the goal and then shaped the process to, to relate to the goal. Instead, I think they just said, I'm an artist. I write because I love writing, which is totally fine too. But if you actually deep down talk to them, they would love to get a book deal or stuff like that. But they right. never actually set that as the target and then determined a process or what we would call deliberate practice. They never determined a learning step-by-step -step system to becoming that person. And to me, instead, they had a fixed mindset. They, they defined their story that that's not something I can have or be, you know. Or it's the fear of not making it. If I don't try yeah. my fullest, then I can always say I never really tried. And I feel okay about that. And that's, I don't... A, that's a fixed mindset. It is. It is. But what's but... interesting, it takes a lot more courage. And this is kind of what I recommend to people from an identity perspective, because your identity is shaped on the stories you tell. It's a lot more powerful and it's a lot more honest just to say who you want to be. Like, yes, it could put you up to scrutiny because people will watch you either succeed or fail. And so right. it, it removes the ego from the situation and you're just being more honest and probably more humble. But if you're like, look, I'm not this person yet. 
my future self, I'm not that person yet, but I want to be in this situation. Like I want to be, you know, making great money, like as a writer, as an entrepreneur, whatever, I want to lose 50 pounds. It's a lot more honest. And also it highlights kind of the distance between you and where you want to go, but it then allows people to like know what you're actually going for. And so that's one thing that clarifies your identity, but also then it leads you to feeling a little bit more accountable or more compelled to start working towards your future self. And I, I love, I used the quote from Jerome Bruner, uh, you're more likely to act yourself into feeling than feel yourself into action. And I think honestly, a lot of people are looking for that. Well, when I feel motivated or when I, you just have to start doing it. That's one of the reasons I've, I've been following you for so long. It was that morning routine. Yep. I get up now way earlier than I want to. I still haven't gotten the cold showers down. I don't know. That's just, I haven't gotten there. Uh, but getting up. Start with warm, end with cold. Well, yeah, that's, it's that last 30 seconds or so that's painful. I never, don't like being cold. I don't know why I live in Ohio. I need to move down where you are. Yeah. But, but that action of pushing yourself, making something, this podcast probably wouldn't exist if I wasn't getting up early because those things that I put first, I have time for. I'm defining, defining my future goals, making sure that I'm writing down the things that I'm going to accomplish yeah. today. Yeah, I actually used your two-minute accountability with a friend of mine who's on another podcaster. Every day we're texting back and forth. Here's my three. Here's what I did. It's nice, right? It is. And it, it's those small steps that start making you identify as what you're doing. You know, you've, you've been on my white whale list. If you ever listen to my shows, I reference you probably every other show because of just the things that I've read from you, and they've influenced my life, and I want to help other people improve in those same ways. But I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have reached out for this interview without building that confidence and saying, this is the goal I want to accomplish. I, this is a way to get there. I'm going to make it happen. Worst thing can happen is I get a rejection I, and it didn't. So it worked out. Yeah. No. And honestly, getting rejected is actually really helpful towards learning. I mean, it is, I mean, there's nothing wrong with failing towards, towards the goal. I mean, I, I like the idea of expect everything attached to nothing. Like don't attach to the results along the way. Mm. You know, it's like Kobe, you know, I, I I'm a big basketball fan. Um, and yeah, I know that you're in a Columbus. I don't know if you're an Ohio State guy, but uh, you know, no, no, no. Okay, no. interesting. But anyways, <laughs> I love I love the NBA, and like one of the things that Kobe Bryant used to talk about was the idea of having a short memory. Like so, like basically, he would shoot the ball. Of course, he would expect to make the shot, but if he missed, he just let it go. Expect you know, like if, if he made it or missed, he didn't care. Like he'd shoot it right. the next time. And I think the problem for a lot of people is that they hold on to the results along the way. It's like if you get rejected, it's like, oh, okay, then I'm not going to try again for like six months because that hurt too much. It's like, you know, you've got you've to become flexible with whatever results come along the way. You know, I've can, written so many, as an example, so many blog posts that just flopped. And it's just like, you know, you just got, you get to the point where the future matters more than the present and, and you deal with the ups and downs along the way. And so I, I think that that's, that's awesome. One other, yeah, I think I'll just like go from there, but interesting to hear about your, uh, your two-minute accountability. I mean, I love stuff like that. I guess I will say this is that we call it self-signaling in psychology. Mm -hmm. So basically it's like when you start acting in the direction you want to go, whether it's like you start waking up, you start exercising, like you start to see yourself as the person you're acting as. Right. And so if you start waking up in the morning, you start to see yourself as a morning person. And it's just, and so when you start telling people about your goals and then start acting towards them, yeah, you're going to start to identify as that person. It's, I mean, it's really great. Yeah. To jump back to the kind of reframing, reframing the trauma. I loved getting my first rejection. I was another, another white whale person that had, I'd identified I love with this. <laughs> and, and loved her, loved what she'd written. And she just wasn't doing interviews at the time. So it wasn't even anything about me. But yeah. get, getting that out of the way, I listen to a lot of comedy podcasters and they all talk about the first time they bombed being a moment of decision as to whether or not they love this thing enough to push through. 
Yeah. Uh, getting that first rejection was kind of like, awesome. I'm official. I've gotten a rejection now. You know, and I've had my first podcast that I wasn't terribly proud of, but like, I'm going to put it, it's going to go out there and I'm going to learn from it and grow and I'm going to move on. Totally. And that's really what, that's really what we call emotional regulation is all about is it's choosing how you see something like as people, everything is really about meanings. And so it's like, you can choose to view that failure, you know, or that rejection is like, you're not good at this. So you should probably not do it. Or you should say, great. Now I don't know. And you give whatever meaning to that you want. You know, we get to choose the meaning we shape on our experiences. And obviously that really impacts where we go. And so if you just saying, awesome, like now I can just keep going. Right. That's a great meaning to give to an experience. Uh, while we're kind of in this, I guess, the, tra- the trauma, and you talk a lot about how to alter and change memories. Is this the kind of thing you're, you're referring to? How we apply the emotions in the way that we want them to be applied to the memories that we have? Totally. It's really just about shaping meaning. So like memories, obviously there's every memory you have has a meaning attached to it. You know, whether it was a positive memory, a negative one, um, we all see things a certain way. Like I'll give an example. We have some neighbors who have like five boys, you know? So we've got these, we've got two sons and like they have this huge yard and basically one Saturday they just said, Hey, do you want to bring your sons over and we're just going to do yard work. They get to use like all these tools. We're going to be chopping down trees with axes. Do you want to let you, and like, these are people we like trust and stuff and they're boys. I just, and so that's stuff our sons would love to do. And so we, we let our kids do that all day. And like our kids want to do that because instead of being home and doing chores, they got to do that all day <laughs> and they were eating pizza and stuff. And at the end of the day, and these are like just boys that they just love playing. With. I mean, it was a totally amazing experience when I picked them up and when I'm driving home with them, it's about a five minute drive back to my house. I was asking them how the day went and they were telling me all the great things that happened, but then one of them started to complain. You know, one of them was like, well, yeah, but this, you know, this part was a little boring or something like that. And then once they started complaining, they both started kind of feeding off each other. And I just stopped them for a second. I said, guys, first off, did you have a great day with the Morrisons? They're like, yeah. I was like, well, if you keep talking about how, you know, bad it was, because you're starting to talk about how bad it was, you're literally going to remember the day as a negative day. And so I'm like, do you want to remember being with the Morrisons as a negative day? Do you want to have a bad memory about today's experience? No then stop talking about why you think it was bad. Like you get to choose if it was good or bad, you know, like, right. And so like you get to choose how you frame an experience. Was it a good day or was it a bad day? Like if you failed the test, are you a loser or can you learn from this? Like, and so looking at your experiences, you got to think about what's the meaning you gave to those events. Like if someone, if you tried to ask a girl on a date and she rejected you, like you get to choose how you, how you look at that. And that's, and that's how memory really works is, is that we've, we've got a frame around it. We've got a meaning attached to it. And you get to choose how you frame that meaning. And that's really what reframing is all about is reshaping what that experience means. Um, you know, as an example, my father being a drug addict, like I could choose to think like my dad didn't care about me, you know, and like I could give that all sorts of meaning or I could ask him about it and I could learn that he was dealing with his own baggage and that he had a lot of mistakes. And I could say, you know what, my dad was actually really just trying and struggling and he was, and I, so you get to, you get to determine that. And I think when you, when you really want to let go of the past, when you want to stop committing to a version of the past, that's allowing you to justify yourself. Cause that's really what it is. You're, you're focused so much on your current perspective of it. And it's actually not even based on your current perspective. It's based on the perspective of when the event happened. Basically from emotion perspective, we say that there's a primary and emotion and then there's a, a secondary. The primary is your initial reaction. Right. The you know, instinctual you, reaction. Yeah. Like if you get cut off on the road, you might have a reaction, you might be upset, but then like, the goal is, is that you have a secondary response where you're like, you know, whatever, you know, you let it go. But with, with various experiences, you never actually have that secondary chosen response about how you want to feel about it. 
Instead, you, we call it a cognitive commitment, but if something negative happens and you just form a complete, what we call a cognitive commitment, you just completely form an identity around it. So like I, I tell the story of, of, a, of an in-law, like someone who's a distant relative who she really wanted to be like an artist. She wanted to write kids' books and she was taking a private art lesson. I think it was her first private art lesson. And this was like when she was in her 30s or 40s. You know, she, she was a genius. I mean, she, she got a degree from Yale and then like a master's degree from Cornell. Like she's a brilliant English writer and she wanted to write kids' books. And so she wanted to learn how to illustrate those books. And so she ended up like in her 30s or 40s when she had young kids taking a private art lesson. And there's probably like five or six other people in the art lesson. Well, there was like a, a certain episode where the art, they had done like this art picture and the art teacher started correcting her like easel pad and like was correcting over it for about like 30 or 60 seconds in front of the other students. And like, it probably wasn't that weird to the other students, but for some reason it was incredibly embarrassing to, to this relative of mine. Like she felt really embarrassed that this guy was correcting her in front of everyone. And so in that moment, the thought came to her mind or she formed the idea that basically I'm not good at this. I can't do this. And so after that art class, she never went back. She never told anyone about this and she's never done art since. And she's like now in her eighties and she's someone who still genuinely wishes she could do art, but she doesn't believe she can because that moment was never reframed. And so as a result, it turned into a fixed mindset. That's a little bit of a tragic story and hopefully informative to people who are dealing with some of those issues. Yeah. I mean, we can really form tight identities around negative experiences. Like there's no, you know, if this woman, as an example, had chosen to see the experience differently, maybe you need help. Like sometimes you need help reframing experience. Sometimes you need encouragement to say, you know what, you should still go for this. Maybe that guy was just a jerk or maybe that guy meant well, maybe this wasn't, you know, like you sometimes need, need someone's external perspectives to get outside your, your emotions. So, I mean, I think journaling, there's so much research on how journaling about it can help you to think differently about it, but even just getting perspective. I mean, in the book, I talk about empathetic witness, you know, like trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. And so like, sometimes you just need someone to say, you know, maybe there's another way to look at this. And she just didn't do that. And sometimes when something's painful, you just internalize it. You just say, I'm never going to deal with this again. And that's why they say that trauma eliminates imagination and flexibility because you just, you stop being flexible to learning and you just say, I can't do it. So it is a tragic story. And I, and I just invite people to think about why, why they've chosen the goals that they've chosen, you know, and maybe, maybe they've cho- you know, there's a really good quote from Robert Brault where he says, we're kept from our goal, not by an obstacle, but by a clear path to a lesser goal. You know, it's like, we're kept from our goal, not we're kept from our goal, not by obstacles, but by a clear path to a lesser goal. Sometimes I think when someone has a negative experience, it's traumatic to them and they don't reframe it. And so they just, get this narrative that I can't do this. And so they choose something easier or simpler and it's not what they really would want. Yeah. I talk about that a lot with people who are, they're in the job that they could get and the job that they could do, but not the job that they want and love. Yeah. So I do with a lot of people who we're heading back into it again, but from the, from the 2008 crisis, there was people just taking any job they could get, but not really finding ways to set a goal and, and accomplish it. And then you get stuck at like a large organization with great benefits. It's almost like golden handcuffs because you, you very you, much, you don't want to take that risk to step out and do something greater. Yeah. And it, it, honestly, if you have a future self that you're striving for, you will take risks. You'll try things that might not work. Like I like the definition of courage, that courage is trying something that might not work. Like you've mm-hmm. got to be willing to mess up, fall on your face and, and sometimes not get it immediately. But if you're committed to the goal, you'll go through that process of figuring out how to get it. 
if you, if you decide to just settle on a lesser goal, I think you'll have that deathbed regret, which is that you never had the courage to be who you wanted to be and you settled for something less or lived up to the expectations of those around you. Right. And it's a dangerous way to live for long-term, for long-term satisfaction. Absolutely. Uh, the, the latter half of your book is a lot of really good stuff of, of re- redesigning your subconscious and your d- lifestyle and things that you're doing to affect your personality in positive ways. Uh, what are some of the best of those? Obviously, you're probably very passionate about all of them, but in a short period, we can kind of lay out to help people understand how those things work for people to get enticed to jump in and, and read your book and find out what all they can do to start really designing their life intentionally. I mean, I think a big one is obviously environment. Your environment very much predicts your behavior, your roles that you're in predict your, your behavior. And so like, there's a lot of research on like social groups, like your social group pretty much predicts almost everything about you. You know, your chances of being successful in academics, whether you're going to be an alcoholic, whether you're going to be an entrepreneur, whether you're going to be religious, like your social group is huge on who you become. And so if you're thinking about your future self and who you want to be, aside from telling everyone about your future self, it's important to be surrounded by people who support and encourage your future self, maybe even help you get there. Like as for me, like I needed to learn, like when I was becoming an entrepreneur and an author, like I needed to actually like learn from people who were already doing that. And so like I, I, I invested in environments, you know, mastermind groups or, or in mentorships that allowed me access to people who are where I wanted to go. And so you really want to think about the influences you have. Another one is just honestly, from an environment perspective, like internal inputs. So there's a quote that basically says your input shapes your outlook. And so if you keep consuming like the same food, the same media, um, and we can get into habits. I mean, that's part of subconscious is, is that you, you have various habits that you've become accustomed to. Like you look at your, you grab your phone a hundred times a day, often unconsciously because it gives you a, a rush of dopamine, which your right. body and your brain have become accustomed to. I think thinking about what are the influences that are, that are coming into your head, both as far as environments and people, but as far as information, like you want to start consuming information that reflects your future self. You want to start having experiences that reflect your future self. You want to start ignoring and avoiding information that is keeping you where you are. As we're recording this, we're we're just coming out of the the Lenten season. So it's a practice of a lot of people to abstain from something during that time. Um, I I did a lot where I just, there were certain podcasts I I just discontinued for the time. And I realized that when I listened to them, you know, come Easter Monday, I was like, oh, I actually get a little angrier when I'm listening to certain things. I should, I should probably not listen to these as a general rule. Those opportunities to, to disconnect from those things, times of fasting can really be helpful in identifying those negative inputs and then bringing something positive into it to replace it. So you can, you know, start getting, guiding towards your future self. I love that. I mean, I actually put fasting as one of the concepts in the book. Cause I think when you mm-hmm. give yourself some separation from something, and it's not just fasting from food. It could be fasting right. from technology for a while. It could be, taking a break from a certain, I mean, group or an activity, but it really does give you space to become mindful if this is something that's harmful or helpful because you can get addicted to, you know, stuff that's not good for you. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the great things to think about this is, is that people generally think your personality is just who you are. It's your preferences. And so you can prefer and like things that are actually damaging you long-term, right? Just because you like doing something doesn't mean it's actually something you should like doing or, or that your future self would prefer you to do. And so yeah, I think that what you're describing is mindfulness. It's, 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 it's an awareness of how this thing is impacting you emotionally, maybe even spiritually, and, and asking yourself, you know, I think taking a little bit of time from it can help you to realize maybe this isn't stuff I want to keep coming into my head, or maybe these are types of people that whenever I'm around them, I feel a certain way, or maybe if I'm watching these kind of shows, you know, it's, like, it's just really determining if, you, if the inputs are shaping the psychology that you want to become, or if they're just kind of keeping you where you're at. 
Um, so a few of the strategies I, I give in the book as far as environment design is one is I call it strategic ignorance, which is basically um, making a single decision that eliminates what we call decision fatigue. So like decision mm -hmm. fatigue is the idea that you have to like weigh options. You know, so like when you jump onto Facebook, you're weighing options. Like, do I click that link? Do I click that link? Do I click that link? If you've got various apps on your phone and you're always thinking, do I click the Twitter button? You know, if you just delete the app, then you don't have to think about that. And if you don't have to think about it, then your mind can focus on what you want to focus on versus kind of always having to combat some right. option. So it's like when you remove the junk food from your house, you don't always have to think, you know, should I eat the junk food? It's like when you've removed it, you've eliminated the options. So you no longer have to think about it. So like Michael Jordan said, once I made a decision, I never had to think about it again. And that's a really good way of making decisions. Um, you just want to make a decision that you don't have to think about things that you don't need to think about. That's, so that's one thing is just becoming strategically ignorant of stuff that's not, not necessarily helpful. You know, that could be media outlets. It could just be whatever you honestly is a distraction. It's just removing, yep. that from, re removing that from your environment. The other one is strategic remembering, where you're specifically creating an environment that reminds you of who you want to be. This could be like, for example, setting a reminder on your phone to like text your wife and tell her you love her. Or it could be like having art or pictures on your wall or statements or quotes, for example, that help remind you of who you're striving to be. I mean, you can create an environment that reminds you where you're trying to go so that regularly you're reminded because it can be easy to forget yeah. in the busyness of the day. I've had arguments with people that like the texting, the reminder to text your wife or the reminder to send flowers or to do something like that. Well, that's not romantic. Like the effort that I put forward to make that happen is what I'm defining as romantic because I want my future marriage, if I'm going to talk about the future self, the future yeah. marriage, to be one that's successful. You know, we've got, let's see, seven What years. would they prefer, that you just remember to do it? Which <laughs> I'm not going to do. What is their preference on I what would make you a better husband? Right. That, that it's so ingrained in your heart that you would just remember to do it. But I'm like, I'm focused on these other things and I'm just, I'm going to put it off and put it off and put it off if I don't set a reminder or a task for myself to, to make sure I show that kind of affection. Some I mean, for me, naturally. it reminds me of the idea that if it's not scheduled, it doesn't happen. So it's like, just because you put something on the schedule a month and a half or two months in advance doesn't mean that you're a bad person. You know what I mean? Right. It's more just being intentional about this is who I want to be and how I want to be. I mean, yeah. I think That's it's more around the romantic notion, right? So it, it, in love in particular, you shouldn't need a reminder. But when it comes to business or work, they would be okay with it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think relationships require just as much thoughtful intention and maybe focus and strategy as, as career. I think we, we spend so much time visualizing and strategizing and educating ourselves and doing things towards building our career. And I think our family can be something where we just keep showing up the same way we've shown up for years. And we're less intentional, less creative, okay. less, less thoughtful, less strategic about it. And I think, you know, in the various key roles of our lives, we should have just as much intention and focus. It's great that you're, you're setting reminders for yourself to show up as a husband in the ways you want to. You know, like, why, I, in my opinion, I don't know why you wouldn't. No, the other, the other option is I just don't. And then yeah. things fall apart. Yeah, you just I, set yourself up to hopefully remember at some random interval, which may be next month. Right. As long as I do it on an, an interval that's random enough that doesn't seem like every Monday I get this text at three o'clock, you know, I can't set up an if this, then that statement to send an I love you. But I message. doubt she, I, I bet she would appreciate it, to be honest with you. I bet she, probably. I mean. The fact that I at least so. made, made the effort would probably be work out well. Um, I have some of these same discussions and I, I kind of relate everything I'm doing in this area back to family. I have a daughter who deals with a little bit of anxiety around that. And a lot of it is the, things, the thing that she, we're teaching her is just the same mindfulness techniques and reframing the discussion. You know, that thing that you were, you're, you're nervous about, you're really excited. Those physiological responses are the same thing. So it's something you're looking forward to, right? 
but it makes your stomach upset and jittery. That's excitement. You know, I walked up before this interview and I'm like, I always get nervous before shows, like, but it's excitement. I'm not upset. I don't expect a bad result from this. And so I, I kind of walk her through that every time and just help her to reframe those situations. Um, and that's really how you build confidence, right? That's yeah. how you build flexibility. I mean, if you didn't do it just because you got nervous, then you're solidifying the idea that you don't do things that are difficult. Like you're right. becoming more and more rigid emotionally. It's essential for your daughter to understand that she can deal with anxiety, you know, and like that yeah. she and can deal with uncertainty and, and sometimes it's not gonna go the way she wants, but a lot of times it will. And that's how you build confidence so that you can do more things that are going to require anxiety. And right. sometimes, you know, like, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, I think grow it's great, man. Grow that failure muscle so that you can be stronger at it and learn how to learn from it and move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Dr. Hardy, I appreciate this. Um, I end all of my shows the same way. I'm going to ask you one question that maybe not as prepared for take time if you need to. I love it. What are you doing today to be better tomorrow? Hopefully a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I've really, I spend a lot of time obviously reading and learning. I'm being on your show, you know, like to me, this is my goal is to get better and better at teaching these things so that hopefully in the future I can be a better, more effective teacher to help other people in the future. The thing that I've been focusing on more than anything as of now, as of the current pandemic is my family, very much being a proactive, amazing dad, you know, obviously husband as well. But I, when I go home, like I really want to, I really want to be excellent in that area. Like I want to have amazing relationships with my kids. I want them to be amazing people, you know, as they grow up and I want them to have deep connections with me. And I, so, so for me, it's small and simple things like swimming with them when they want to swim, going to the tennis court rather than just letting them go, you know? So like for me, that's the big thing I'm focusing on right now. Obviously with the career, I want to keep getting better at writing. I want to keep getting better at teaching and understanding things, but I, I also just really want to be better as a father and as a husband, like that's, that's, that's something that I, that I maybe haven't been as intentional about. I've, I've always cared about it, but it's something that I'm wanting to even get better at. Yeah. I find we all start to change our direction as our kids get older and we start realizing how little time we really have full oh, time with them. It, it's it, true. It's scary. Yeah. I mean, my old, you know, it's 12, 10 and eight now for our three older ones. I got two 15 month old twins, but like the older three are just flying, you know? And yeah, they're getting older and older. And so it's like, yeah, I want to invest in that because those relationships are key and I want them to be great in the future. Exactly. All right, Dr. Hardy, thank you so much. Remember, Personality is Not Permanent will be releasing as of this recording. So go out and check it out. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. And as always, I hope you will find something today to help you be better tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I hope you've gotten something out of this that will help you be better tomorrow. As always, you can find our show notes and everything you need to know about the program at BeBetterTomorrow.com. The music you're listening to right now is by Kevin McLeod of Incom Tech, released under a Creative Commons 3.0 share-like license, as is Be Better Tomorrow. So you can use this recording in any non-commercial endeavor as long as you give credit to us. In the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show, and I hope you'll find something today so that you can be better tomorrow. Tomorrow.